Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer Dr Sam Willis. And he is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. Now, Histories of the Unexpected is the show where we demonstrate how everything has a history, even the most unexpected of subjects, and how everything links together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew, Sam, that the history of tables is in fact all about equality, King Arthur... World War Two and spying. Everything's about spying. It's probably also about the Reformation. It is. It's, in fact, about the altar table. Oh, yeah. Uh, and all those difficulties. I want to do the history tables. So uh, one of the things we do is... Um, well, we do two things. One is to take unexpected subjects like mountains or courage and then explain how it does have a history. And the other thing we do is we take a well-known topic or subject and explain how you can approach that from an unexpected standpoint. Um, so we are currently writing uh, books with this in mind on the unexpected history of the Tudors, the unexpected history of Vikings, World War Two, and then the Romans is coming up. Yep. Now, as it is op- October. October? Is it October? Things happen in October, James. Oh, yes. Well, uh, particularly on the 21st of October, Very good. Sam. So um, we thought we would try and apply our histories of the unexpected approach to the Battle of Trafalgar. Ah, goodness me. I know I know almost nothing about the Battle of Trafalgar. You have, <laughs> you've sprung this on me I have in a moment. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. Napoleonic Wars, Nelson. Yeah, 1805, Nelson, all those sort of things. This is, this is the expected history. So uh, I think I'm going to start by telling you what I think the expected history of Trafalgar oh, is. Oh, good. Um, I will take notes. Because the often the point is, when you're trying to find out what is an unexpected approach, you need to do the opposite of it. Oh. OK, so Trafalgar, um, we know a lot about Trafalgar. Historians really do know a great deal about it. Um, we had the Bicentenary in 2005, and there was an enormous amount of work which was, which was produced. We've had all sorts of fabulous um, biographies, of Nelson. There are all sorts of fabulous biographies of Napoleon. There's uh, histories of the French Navy and the Spanish Navy and the Royal Navy who all fought at Trafalgar. Um, we know the outline, we've known the outline of what happened for years. So Napoleon was not trying to invade England. <laughs> That's your starting point. Okay. He, was about, he was sending his troops to Italy. He was sending his navy to Italy to reinforce um, some troop movements there. He'd given up on his idea to invade England. Um, his ships, the combined French and Spanish fleet, were in Cadiz. Um, they'd finally come there after being chased all around all around the world's oceans by Nelson. Um, then they get 
trapped into Cadiz and they are blockaded by a Royal Naval Squadron and then they come out. They come out to try and get to Italy and they are caught by the British. What happens next is, again, it is very well known. There are, they are enormous battle fleets, much bigger compared to any of the other battles um, of the French Revolutionary Napoleonic Wars. There are some pretty big fleets in the... How big is a big fleet at this at this time? 30 ships. 30 ships? Yeah. Gosh. So each ship might have 700 people on board. Gosh, so you're looking at thousands of thousands, sailors. Thousands and thousands of sailors. Um, the Battle of Ushant in the 1770s was enormous, but previously the ones that are really big are in the 1680s. Um, anyway, uh, it's a very big um, collision of naval power of different types different types of French naval power, Spanish naval power, British naval power. So, um, yes, it, it's, a, it's a very dominant performance by the Royal Navy who um, utterly destroy the French and the Spanish. Then there's a storm um, and all sorts of things happen afterwards. Okay, so the, my point here is that the narrative of the battle is well known. Nelson dies, it's a British victory. The outcome, the fallout of the battle is well known. And yet I'm completely convinced that using an unexpected approach to it will, will bring benefit. The casualties and losses are extraordinary for this. Yeah. Absolutely extraordinary. I mean, just look, just looking at this, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm a historian of the world and, you know, but I, I don't know, you know, had no idea of the, of the, the high attrition rate here. I mean, if you think about it, you've got on the British side, you've got about 33 ships versus about 41 on the French and Spanish side. And the losses for the French and Spanish, 10 ships captured, one destroyed, over 2,200 dead, 1,100 or so wounded, 4,000 captures, 11 Spanish ships captured. Um, you know, a total total of 13, more than 13,500 people yeah. captured or killed. And it's interesting that 3,000 of them are drowned in the storm after the battle. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing that strikes me there, so we know the figures, often casualty figures in naval history are displayed as figures, but there's a whole process... Oh yes. So we know about medical history. We yep. know we know how surgeons work, but what we don't know is uh, we don't know about things like discomfort. Well, and what's it like to drown? You know, of the three thousand that are drowned in a storm. Yeah. How so, do you capture that experience? Exactly. How do you capture that experience, and and how do you find it again? And and it's one of those. It's it's one of the sort of examples of exercising the historical imagination to a certain extent, where you can get um, uh, descriptions of people who have nearly drowned and who have survived, and there are, there are a lot of them. I'm not sure are there any specific ones from Trafalgar, but the point is with all of this pain and injury and wounding, yeah, we know about surgery and we know about surgery in the 18th yep. century. It's not our job to so talk that's, about that's it That's your way in. Yes. But, but we don't know about misery, discomfort, wounds, anxiety, wounds to a certain extent we know about, but there are certain types of wounds we don't know about. So maggots, um, yeah, gangrene, yeah. Um, sores, yeah. all of those things are really Splinters. interesting. And also, historians very much focused on on the battle itself, and to a certain extent, the storm afterwards. But there's a there's a fascinating history of the experience of being on a captured ship, which we don't know anything about. So um, you have a Royal Naval ship will send across a young lieutenant to take charge of a captured ship, and he's got maybe a thousand shivering Frenchmen or Spaniards on board. But we don't know. Same with slave ships. We don't know. Almost nothing. Well, we know almost nothing about the experience of being on that ship. Nor do we know the the 
personal experience of the young person in charge. Because um, they would often write, you know, sent over to the Regitabla, to one of these friendships to look after it. But we did, he, you know, he doesn't write, I'm terrified, I'm worried, I haven't done this before, I'm insecure about it. There's a, there's a whole kind of enormous range of human experience which is lost to history or has yet been undiscovered. Yeah. I mean, I also imagine there are there are different type, there are different interpretations of Trafalgar that are more difficult to to sort of get at. Um, so, Trafalgar meets gender. You know, how how do you you know think about um, the history of the navy from the perspective of women? You know, at a time when when strictly women were not allowed on board ship, but we know that in various guises, women would get on ship either as 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 wives prostitutes uh women who are involved in provisioning so when you stop in at a port you know women are often the people who are going along taking the sort of fruit and vegetables along Mm. um what about the experience of the the wives of the wives and families of of sailors yeah you know, left at home. There's a very famous kind of visual idea of of the woman standing back on the shoreline and waving as their sailor yeah. sailor goes off to sea. But you know, we there's again this kind of concern of anxiety, loss, expectation of news. Yes, yes, that's interesting, isn't it? Yes, very, very. And I mean, yeah, one of the things I'm going to take this to the second to the Second World War okay. uh, at the moment, and one of the things with. Um, <laughs> One of the things that I'm looking at there is actually the history of handkerchiefs. And handkerchiefs is all about uh, escape. And one of the things that struck me was this idea that comes around in the, that that is almost invented in the, in World War II, which is this escape mindedness. So it's this kind of like positive attitude towards being captured and being away because there's always, if you're escape minded. You have a professional responsibility. You have a professional responsibility to, to escape, which viewed from the home front and the, and the perspective of the wives is not about, you know, concern and worry, but is, it is about hope that these people are coming home. You know, transplant that into, Mm. you know, the Navy yeah. in, you know, the early 19th century. And what were the attitudes of... Do we know what, what the wives and mothers and sisters and mothers felt about, you know, male family members going off to sea? To a certain extent, we've got more letters written from sailors that have survived here... Yes. ...because it's less wet, yes. <laughs> yes. principally, and it's yes. less dangerous than we have the other way around. But we know there was post. Yep. Um, post yep. obviously took a long time to get to yep. and fro. Um and if you're reading an exchange like that, you can infer from a husband's letters that survive in the house, you can infer what the what the female members are yeah. saying. The idea of escape's interesting. So on a couple of the captured ships, so the British capture the ships, but then the crews rise up and then they take the ship back. So yeah. there are a, few, a handful of ships which are retaken by the French and the Spanish after the battle on the way back to Cadiz. And I wonder if, you know, to what extent there was a professional responsibility to make life as awkward and difficult for your captors as we read so much about in the Second World War. Hmm. I suspect, as with most things in the 18th century Navy, it depended on every ship. It depended on the yeah. captain. There was no... Yeah. The, the whole point about the period is, is why it's difficult to pin down, it's a bit like a jelly, yeah. is that uh, there are different rules for different people, for different ships mm. in different locations. So we've gendered Trafalgar. Let's lob in a little social class yeah so how you know how one might one write a a sort of working class history from below history of trafalgar um 
Well, we, we do have lots of surviving letters from the lower deck. Right, right. Um, and that's something that's been done. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, I've got it, some here. Yeah, go on, have a look. I've got some here um, from the um, National Maritime Museum. Great. Uh, and a, there's a project uh, that is looking to do transcripts of letters of people from the lower deck or um, Jack Tars who were at Trafalgar um, and letter from here we are Henry Blackburn mm -hmm. who was aged 21 an ordinary seaman from uh, Ramsgate and it's a it's it's actually quite a good hand I mean the problem with the problem with a lot of um, people from the working classes or lower social orders at around this time is illiteracy and so, you know, often written records don't survive, but there is an extraordinary number of these do. And he writes here, um, he's writing to his mother saying how he thanked God to spare him to see the 21st of October over. So he's obviously somebody who's survived. We were about, uh, the, we were about the eighth ship in action about an hour after the Royal Sovereign fired the first shots. The ships was engaged were the French Berwick and the Spanish Augmort. So we've got a so we've got a son writing to a mother. So immediately, you know, if we're not interested necessarily in the in this from the perspective of naval history and the battle, you've got a, a relation. You've got a sort of thinking about the relationship between a mother and son. How does that letter get off the ship and get to his mother in in Ramsgate? Yeah. How does the postal system work yeah. with those ships? Yeah. No, it's, it's 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 a fascinating way of thinking about it. Actually, has he signed it? Yeah, uh, I think so. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Not so visible, but the history of the signature... Ah, ha, ha. I see where you're going with that. ...is interesting, particularly Nelson's signature. And we've done, we've done a podcast on the signature, Ooh, we haven't have. we? And Nelson's one of these famous people whose signature has changed. And his signature changed because he lost an arm um, in 1797 uh, and he had it amputated and then he was suddenly forced to, to learn to write. He said he lost his right arm. He was forced to, to write with his left arm. And one of the, one of the fabulous surviving um, documents related to Nelson is the first letter he wrote um, with his left hand. And um, it's full of, of self-doubt and self-loathing. It's a really, really interesting thing. It really opens up uh, Nelson's personality and his character. Now, he his signature changes again when he becomes Baron Nelson of the Nile after 
um, the Battle of the Nile in 1798. And that means he can start signing things Nelson, not just Horatio Nelson. When you become Baron Nelson, you yeah. you just just sign it Nelson. But then it changes again because the uh, the King of Naples um, gives him an Italian dukedom. So he becomes uh, the um, Duke of Bronte. So he gets the, the this this um, Sicilian dukedom actually Sicilian dukedom, the Duke of Bronte, which comes with a a twelve thousand acre estate at a twelfth century abbey and a castle, which isn't bad for a mm. parson's son from Norfolk. So he changes his name again. He becomes Nelson and Bronte. It's it's slightly kind of schizophrenic, but that's his signature that he uses right up until his death at the Battle of Trafalgar, and just. Before they go into battle, Nelson sits down. I think he has a sense of certain sense of foreboding. He's completely convinced he's not going to survive. And he writes to his daughter, Horatia, who is the daughter he's had out of wedlock with Emma Hamilton, one of the great beauties of the age. And uh, he basically admits to being her dad. Uh, but then brilliantly, at the end of it, he doesn't He doesn't sign it, lots of love, dad. He signs <laughs> Nelson and Bronte. In a, <laughs> such a brilliantly Nelson thing. Just come on, admit it, you're a father. Be nice about it. So signatures are interesting, and, and I'm sure that a lot of people's signatures and handwriting would have changed. In the immediate aftermath of Trafalgar, through shock, yep. because of wobbly handwriting. Injury. Uh, injury, being unable to write... And then, you know, if that injury is permanent, it's good. Trafalgar will have survived and impacted on people's lives visible through their handwriting. Definitely. In French, hmm. Spanish, do um, we know, British do accounts. We know, take, take that idea of shock and trauma. Do we know much about post-traumatic stress from this period? Um, no, I don't think we do. No. So there's another... I apologise if there's a historian out there working on that disability, now. disability. We know more about disability. So we know about the sort of veterans who yeah. go off and... And we wrote about that and yeah. um, we talked about that in our podcast on The Lean, where yes. we realised yes, there was a history did. of people leaning yes. over, um, yes. particularly in Greenwich, because you, Greenwich was full of Royal Naval pensioners who might have lost a leg, yep. in the worst case scenario. So, so the, the, the physical appearance of people leaning, there was more of it going on in Greenwich related to Royal Naval, yep. naval history, which is um, important. One, one of the other interesting things is that uh, a battle like this is memorialised. Yes. You know, I mean, we're doing it now because it is the anniversary of, you know, of this event, but it's memorialised in statues, in squares. You know, we've had two centenaries of it, 100 years, 200 years. Yeah. You know, and what does that suggest about what does it suggest about the importance of an event, a big national event, yeah. at, uh, you know, in the sort of nation psyche? Yeah. And the, well, so some of the, the really significant things, like Trafalgar Square, that, that doesn't even happen around a centenary or a bicentenary. There are there's massive things going on all the way through. Mm. Um, and I, when you go to a Trafalgar night dinner, I'm going to one um, in a couple of days' time, you, you toast the immortal memory of Nelson. Okay, I don't know of another historical character that you stand up and toast their immortal memory of. And it's a weird phrase, but it's one of the reasons that Trafalgar is not forgotten because there's a kind of onus on it for us not to forget it, a conscious onus. You toast the immortal memory. You will not let it forget it. I mean, the, the whole point about history is that you might learn lessons, you might do all of this stuff, you might have pioneers doing new things. But it, you might often forget about it as well. It's the nature of archives, it's the nature of history. Someone can do something amazing, completely new, and then we can forget about it within 100 years, within mm. 20 years. Mm -mm. But it's that, I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are characters, I can't think off the top of my head, 
but I'm sure there would be characters that you would you toast their memory, but raise. I'm not sure you, it's the phrase the immortal memory. Yeah. Who decided it was going to be mortal? I'd love to know the history of that toast. History of yes. toast is interesting. Yes. Of toasts and toast. Toast and toasting. Yes. Drinking. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we should do. We should do toasting. Yeah. Hmm. Gosh. But it's all to do with um with maintaining memory, isn't it? Yes. Um, that's an I'm, unexpected history of Trafalgar. It is. I just, I just, I'm just looking at this very famous painting called uh, by by um, Daniel McLeese called "The Death of Nelson." Oh, let me find and, it. And um, it's it's a huge jumble of people on board uh, Victory just at the moment that Nelson's been shot. And it is it's fabulous in, in that it gives you a it's, it's a window into a into oh, a naval world. It's an enormously long, very busy picture. So this um, yeah, we've got a huge jumble of people here. Um, sort of all crowded around around uh, Nelson on on the decks of HMS Victory. Masts broken, smoke. Yeah, smoke's an interesting Cannons. one. You can do the history of smoke. Yeah, because that's also to do with the history of visibility. Tatters, bodies. Tatters is good. Tatters, splinters. Um, and the body language of it, of it, of it important. Um, pockets, pockets and handbags. Ropes. We did our pocket. Balconies. We did a pocket one. Very similar to this, didn't we? Talking about the way that people are posed with their hands in pockets in a Victorian painting of a, of a number of people uh, on a race day. Um, here, it's it is very similar. And um, oh, I would love. Someone says to me, "Okay, how would you like to understand the Battle of Trafalgar?" I'd like to get all of the sailors together just before the Battle of Trafalgar and get them to empty their pockets. Oh, how brilliant. fantastic would brilliant. that be? What were you keeping in your pocket, and why? Um, we've got um, some women helping here, but again, we've talked about the, the gender and, and social history, and to a certain extent, that's that's understood. Hair a is small interesting. Small boy carrying. Yeah. So you've got. A, there were children on board the ships. Um, this is a powder monkey. He's gone down to the magazine to collect a cartridge for the cannon. He's walking around quickly. Notice he has no shoes on. History of shoes. We should so. I so want to do shoes. Yeah. So some of the the the. the um, uh, the soldiers are wearing boots. The kids are not wearing shoes. Um, one of the, there's a sailor here not wearing shoes. It looks to me like the sailors are not wearing shoes and the soldiers are wearing shoes. Presumably because his feet grew. You know, young young kids' feet grow. Shoes are expensive, and you're just you just go through shoes. There was always some argument that it was something to do with climbing and the rigging as well, but I've always I doubted bet, that. I bet. I'd, well, I, I was. I mean, I, it would just be more comfortable and, and more safe. Yeah. If you're not, if you're wearing shoes, if you've got yeah. some leather yeah, protecting yeah. the sole of your foot, because one of the things that these guys can't do is to risk getting injured. No. Because if they get injured, then someone else has got to take their position. That makes it more like you've got to run through more crew. You need more people. Um, and shoes is a very kind of a, an obvious example. Like, just put your shoes on. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to drop cannonballs on your feet and, and hurt yourself up in the rigging. We've done hands, but what about, you know. What about arms? The history of arms. Arms is interesting, particularly with Nelson having lost chests, one. hearts. We yeah. haven't done hearts. The hearts we good, but you're saying chests because there are a lot of um, men clutching their chests, clutching their chests, yeah. stripped to the waist here. Yeah, um, sort of protecting the the vulnerable areas of their chests, and that must also be the sound. I mean, it's this is silent. This is a silent yeah. painting. But what's going on here? What the the glances and the looking is really interesting. Why are you looking in some places? Why are you not looking in others? Deafness. Disaster. The history of disaster. Yeah, and how you cope with it. Yeah. 
but that's also to do with with shock post traumatic post traumatic stress. The deafness is an interesting one, where where you some people would have been stone deaf anyway because of all the the cannon. It might have been the majority yeah. of these people were stone deaf. Did they have sign language? Yeah. I don't know. I know it wasn't invented by then. I know there wasn't sign language until much, much late, proper sign language until much, much later on. So how did the proper deaf people on board these ships, of which there would have been a lot, how did they communicate? And also, how did they experience the battle? Because they would have experienced it in a different way, because they're not hearing the bangs, they're feeling them. It's a physical thing. They'd have felt it as vibrations. What about the emotional history of Trafalgar? You know, we've got a whole range of emotions here from grief, horror, terror... Um, nobody smiling. This is not, you know, in no way uh, an ecstatic state, but, you know, grief, anger. But that's true. But, but you know, we are in a crisis point of battle here. Yeah. And the thing about the Navy is that they spent 2% of their time actually fighting. Yeah. And the majority of the time they would have been interacting and engaging with each other in the way that humans do. And that would have involved Banter laughter and, and it would have and chat. And, and, yeah. Yeah. yeah and the noise so life on board ship. Yeah. A, yeah, and it's you know it does it is sort of frustrating as a naval historian that there's so much focus put on Trafalgar in 1805 this this particular moment. And yes, you can look at the battles, but it's the day to day life that is lost. Yeah, when you see these and a lot of these people will write letters about it. They'll get home, they've survived. They might write to someone and say, "Look, I've managed to survive this." They might write to their mates. They might write to their mother, their parents, or their wives, or children. And so this moment then becomes a moment frozen in time. But what about everything else? That's when it's, you know, you can, to a certain extent, find it through logbooks, and, but you only get a sense of the sort of day-to-day boringness of life. But if you look at a picture like this, you've got so many people. Yep. And the thing about people like this is they all interpret things differently. Yep. I mean, just look at the objects here as well. Jugs, there's a slate, there's a hat. I mean, you could do all manner of things with that, a sword, weapons... Um, rings, yeah. belts. I want to do the history of the belt. Yeah, me too. That's a tremendous one. Uh, so you've got a variety of belts here. So you've got the soldiers with their white kind of a- across the chest. It was like a, I, I don't even know what it's called, but um, it reminds me of a Sam Brown belt, which is a yeah. Second World War yeah. one where you have, your, have your waist belt and then one going across the chest. You've got a lot of, we, a lot of it would be handmade um, leather work and it would have been customised per for each sailor who would have been able to scratch their initials on it. Graffiti would have been so important. Right. Scratch their initials. And then you're using the marlin spike, you're using the um, knife, whatever it is, to, to gra- graffiti, you know, bits of wood, whittle away. Yeah. I Much they... graffiti left on ships of this age? There is, but um, uh, I, I, I don't, what I don't know about it is whether they got in trouble doing it. I bet they did. I bet you weren't allowed officially to do it. So yeah. I suspect it's probably up you, in the nooks you, and crannies. Yeah, where you don't yeah know I was going to say you'd probably do it where in places where it wasn't going to be seen. Yeah. Gosh, who knew that well, the Battle of Trafalgar was all that was, these things? That was massively enjoyable. Um, I tell you what, get in touch with us if you've got any genius ideas about the way we could think about the Battle of Trafalgar in a new and exciting and yes. unexpected way. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, Me too. Um, if you've enjoyed listening to us, then please check us out online at historiesoftheunexpected.com. You can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram and Flickr and YouTube. Um, you can come and see us live if we're doing a show near you. And you can read our books. Um, we're massively proud of our books. It was enormous fun writing it, and we'd love you to read a copy. Histories of the Unexpected, How Everything Has a History. It's out with Atlantic Books, those lovely people. 
who are just brilliant. Um, it's out now. That's it. Thank you very much, guys. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.